welcome back to the Messy City Podcast. This is Kevin Klickenberg. Got my good buddy Eric Brown uh, with me today. Eric is an architect, urban designer, man about town, Savannian. Uh, What what else should I uh, have on your resume, Eric? Uh, Probably my best accomplishment, which is being a father. There you go. There you go. All right. Well, I'm I'm in that with you now as well, although I was a little later to the party than you. But uh, it's it's a pretty awesome responsibility, and uh, uh, I know Nick's a great kid. So congratulations on that. Well, you haven't seen him in a while. He's uh, six foot one now. <laughs> Jesus, he's taller than me. He's That's a, not possible. He's still growing too. He's a big boy. He's going to be a big boy, and uh, you also haven't seen Ace the Wonder Dog. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's been a couple of years since I've been back. Although, watch out, rumor is we're going to make a trip back uh, this year. So I'll let you know. Okay. Um, so I, I wanted to, there's a lot of things Eric and I talk about. And uh, uh, there's there's any number of directions we can go with, with this hour today. But I do want to hit a couple of things uh, specific to like what stuff that you work on and, and some things that we did years ago. Um Eric and I were kind of partners in crime in Savannah, um, really trying to um, bring more discussion about new urbanism and and better long-term planning uh, to the city. And that may seem like a strange thing because Savannah is famous for its planning uh, and its built environment. But like a lot of cities in the last several decades, um, it's really just been kind of the default um, same stuff that you see everywhere other than the historic district. Uh, So one of the things that Eric and I kind of put our heads together on was to uh, get a a group together and do an updated uh, master plan of sorts for the greater downtown area of Savannah. Uh, We did this in 2018. Uh, We called it the Savannah 2033 plan. Uh, and, uh, we called it 2033 because not just cause it was like 15 years was a nice round number away, but really because 2033 is the 300th, uh, anniversary of the founding of Savannah. Uh, and Savannah is actually older than the United States, uh, as a country. So, uh, it felt like a, it, a great benchmark for us to give. And, and, uh, I have, I flew the coop a few years ago, so I haven't been in touch in Savannah with every as much of what's going on, but I wondered, Eric, if you could talk a little bit about uh, that plan and effort and any uh, legacies from that and what might, you know, what might be going on today, sort of good, bad, or indifferent regards to uh, thinking about planning in downtown Savannah. Um, it's a good question. And, you know, I'm going to kind of circle back to that answer in a second, but, um, you know, we also, you know, you and I also kind of, um, had our little CNU group here, mm-hmm. brought the Congress here in whatever year that was. Um, but, you know, as part of that CNU group, we did, um, a series of, urban speaker series mm-hmm. you know we had mayor riley we had dear tadani we had uh recall um we Chuck had, Barone, yeah yeah Nicosi, yeah yeah mm-hmm. we had a, a you know the top talent and you know i'm sure i'm forgetting a few on there and you know when i'm really kind of proud of our efforts you know, even after all these years, um, because people still talk about that. You know, they still talk about those. And, you know, if you were listening to you and I back in 2018 or 17 or whenever that was, we were doing those, 19, um, you know, our mission, what we told everybody our mission was, is to, you know, raise the bar of discourse and education here on, you know, urban planning matters. And, you know, I got to say, buddy, congratulations, because it took a while to sink in, but we did it. 
<laughs> well, know, things move a little slow, more slowly in Savannah, right? <laughs> absolutely, they move slow. Um, Although, they, honestly, they move slowly everywhere. So, what are you going to do? But, you know, I've seen, um, I've seen the effects of some of those, and I think, you know, we've given people the vocabulary and, in some cases, passion to go deal with some of these issues. Um, some of our elected officials, some of our staff members. And so I just wanted to kind of tell you that, um, you know, all those efforts that were pretty much thankless at the time are still somewhat thankless, but, um, you know, we <laughs> did do it. We had an effect on that. So I'm, again, I'm real proud of you and our efforts on there. Um, so I wanted to throw that out there. There's That's great to hear there's some significant changes coming um, that I, I really can't mention. I really don't think it's appropriate to mention right now. Um, but when they do occur, you'll, you'll be shocked and you'll know exactly how much of an effect we had. And so I think that's exciting to you know, see if that does come to come to fruition and, <clears throat> You know, everyone out there in podcast land, because um, I've talked to other CNU groups about doing this or, you know, those those grassroots education efforts. They are thankless. Um, just they're important, though. Mm -hmm. It's really the most important thing I think you can do as a as a local group. So, you know, hammer away at that stuff because it it does bear fruit. Um, yeah. But back to your your planning question you know that master plan was really good work um that um our team you know just did some really amazing work in a very short time for what we were doing on a shoestring too i mean we did that on a ridiculous budget too yeah yeah we did um but I mean, you and almost you and basically everybody else you know, donated huge amounts of time or else it never would have gotten done. Well, you know, I, again, I think, um, it's kind of the same thing. You know, we, we did get, you know, city council to adopt that mm -hmm. as their guide. Um, you know, I don't know that they have ever gone back and looked at it since then. Um, but it has, spurned off and affected a lot of things. You know, the Tide to Town has been a success here, mm -hmm. which is, you know, kind of linking up um, some bike trails with some of our canals. Savannah's got a lot of canals um, and waterways and kind of tying all those together so that you can really get somewhere substantial on a bike that's in a, you know, a nice, interesting setting. You, you know, you're not sharing the road with automobiles mm -hmm. um, so that's just they just got more funding for their next phase it's very it's a huge success story and that's probably the biggest one that came out of that effort um you know there's there's um, continuing work with the civic center which is one of the focal points of that plan and um you know the work we put in there is a is a good kind of milestone, I think, to judge the future work by. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the, the Waters Corridor has finished up and it looks really nice. I just went, I was over there the other day. Um, and so, you know, those efforts kind of helped that area a little bit, um, which was part of the east side charrette as well. Um, from the Congress. Yeah. You know, one of the things we used to talk about, Eric, it kind of, I, I may help people to have some context to know that we, this was basically a planning effort that uh, we put together that was outside City Hall. Um, we worked kind of through the remnants of Savannah Development and Renewal Authority, but we also went out and raised money privately. Uh, and uh, and pieced it together. And that was something like you and I used to talk about that all the time, how I, I wonder if you could just expand on this, this, 
you know, that one of the frustrations we have is that in so many cities, the business community and people who ought to know better about development and, um, you know, things that would work well, uh, at least financially in a city, the business community largely has kind of stepped away from being involved in planning and, uh, and we used to just, <laughs> something we kind of wrung our hands about all the time. Uh, even in a, even in a great historic city like Savannah, that was often the case, but clearly it's cities all over the country. Um, it, you know, it's just been a sea change in how people think about that. And I wonder if you could kind of share some of your thoughts on that. Yeah. So, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm a big history buff, history fan, mm-hmm. um, as it relates to planning, but just in general. And, you know, when you look at some of the great plans that have been done, the, you know, the, um, the plan for San Francisco, the plan for Chicago, um, heck, even the 1815 plan for Manhattan, um, you know, it wasn't the city of city of Chicago didn't do that plan. It was the, the business community that wrote Dan Burnham an, an unlimited check to go get it done, make us a world-class city. And San Francisco did the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's because the business community needed a competitive city to be competitive in an emerging national market, you know, and, um, Never in our history until probably, I would guess, post, post-war or maybe probably during the Depression, it started where you had, you started to rely on government agencies to do the planning work, mm-hmm. you know, because there was no planning profession prior to like 19-something, 1912, maybe. Right. Um, and so that's interesting um, again, how we used to do it and, you know, not, I sound like an old man, get off my lawn kind of thing, but, um, you know, it worked and it, it, those were beautiful plans and they've stood the test of time. They've built magnificent world-class cities. Mm -hmm. Chicago's a top three, top five U S city, however you want to rank it. Um, San Francisco same. So, you know, you know, so where's our business community was the question you and I kind of asked ourselves over some beverages, I think one or two nights. And, you know, it's, it's different. It's different now. And I don't think we realized this at the time, but, you know, let's say in 1893, you know, the business community in Chicago and you had some national, you know, obviously Sears was based, I think Sears was based out of there mm-hmm. at the time. And, you know, you had some national companies, but, you know, businesses were for the most part locally owned. Yeah. Right. So you had, you know, the department store that was locally owned. It wasn't a Macy's yet. Right. Um, and it wasn't a Woolworths yet. There were you know, locally owned businesses that did things, um, steel mills, um, you know, building cars or mufflers or whatever it was. Um, and you know, all that's gone. Literally that whole class Mm -hmm. of independent businessmen that are locally based and care about where they actually are and where they live and how their kids are going to view all this. Those guys are gone and they're replaced with, you know, global, corporate MBA dipshits that just care about stock price. Yeah. And, and, you know, so they're, they're running a global company out of, you know, somewhere. And it's real hard to, to get them to do anything um, other than for the PR work and, you know, raising funds for CNU. I think we got a taste of that, but what was interesting is, um, you know, Delta is based out of, Atlanta, Chick-fil-A is based out of Atlanta. Um, and so they were, you know, willing to, to fund some efforts, you know, in, in their home market, they perceived it as 
Um, so we, you know, we got lucky with a few of those, but you know, um, Gulfstream here is, is one of our few major businesses in Savannah and they do a ton in the community. They do. Um, but you know, they don't give two shits about the planning work here. It's not on their radar. Um, you know, so I, I think that that whole shift is something to be cognizant of and you you have to find kind of that civic leadership somewhere else mm-hmm. you know and by all means if you have a, a, a local based business you know then lean on them um, they're just not that prevalent like they used to be um, you know before we relied on the city you know here we have um, obviously tourism groups that are um, interested in, in the planning um, so you know they provide some of that leadership you know right or wrong and um, I think you have to you know as a you know as like what we were doing is basically you know guerrilla warfare <laughs> you know, I always viewed it as, you know, working outside the system because the system isn't getting it done. You know, we were trying to model our efforts on, you know, what some of the great planners before us, Daniel Burnham and, and them were, were doing um, and engage that business community. And, you know, we found some success here. Um, and so for, you know, people that might be trying that same thing, you know, I would do some research into, you know, where some of the capital or um, trusts are, you know, in your city, those are usually good sources for, you know, funding efforts to do stuff like this. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was thinking about like, you know, even here in Kansas city, you know, we had a great city, beautiful plan, like a lot of American cities did starting sort of 1880s and all the way through the 19 teens. Uh, and that, it's interesting that there's a couple of great books that talk about how the creation of like the parks and boulevards plan here. And there was a core group of local business people, including the newspaper publisher that basically went around town and lobbied for that thing to happen. Uh, they hired uh, a famous landscape uh, architect at the time, George Kessler, who was a, a, an Olmstead disciple. And, um, they basically, you know, went around and, and lobbied to, to make sure it would happen. And over a hundred years later, that's as big a part of what the city is known for, uh, as anything for people who come here and see it. And you, know, you can see the parks and Boulevard, uh, footprint. And I mean, that's pretty common all over the place. I, I think you make a great point too, about just like the local civic leadership in, in like, do you ever think about that? Like in your, compared to your native Ohio, um, so Eric grew up in Ohio and, you know, Ohio is interesting because let's say, you know, 70, 80 years ago, there was unbelievable uh, wealth and industry and local leadership uh, and great cities that were built uh, as a result, great architecture. Um, but it's probably suffered as much as any place with a lot of those companies becoming part of what, what you described, like the, they, they all eventually got absorbed. Uh, and combined and merged or dissolved. And there's not as much of that like local uh, civic leadership as there probably was. No, no, it's um, not, you know, all those Rust Belt cities. um, Pittsburgh's actually probably the best example of a city that was able to pivot quickly um, in in part because they have, um, you know, a variety of, higher learning institutions there that really helped them you know, become a research center in many ways and survive the, the shift away from making steel. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, um, Cleveland in 1920 was a top five city. It was the number four or five city in America in terms of population. Um, and it, you know, fell off a cliff there. I mean, it's still a big city, but it's, um, you know, it's a skeleton of itself. Um, everybody lives in the burbs, mostly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they don't make, Cleveland never made cars or 
had, they made some steel, but they made a lot of the stuff that went into cars, mufflers, transmissions, and engines, um, all sorts of that stuff. And some steel, uh, but all, you know, a lot of that's gone, not all of it, but most of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think, um, I think, you know, those, those grassroots efforts to find, um, you know, better planning and better design work and expecting better. Um, I think it's, it, it needs to start with somebody in the community. You know, if that business community is not there, then, um, you know, maybe it's a neighborhood association or a downtown mm-hmm. association or somebody needs to start it. Um, and I think, you you know, just follow that path of educating and, you know, doing some demonstrative projects, which I know, you know, you've done mm-hmm. um, both in Kansas City and um, your time here in Savannah, you know, just showing how you can, nobody knew what a parklet was. <laughs> yeah, so we just went out and did one. <laughs> yeah, they went out and did one, and um, you know, COVID kind of opened that box in in many places. Um, you know, I think it's just, but you're you know, you're fighting up, uphill guerrilla warfare, but it's actually easier that way because you don't have to answer anybody. You just kind of yeah. do do what you do. Um, and so I, I I really enjoyed that that time we were doing that stuff here. Um, and, you know, we, we just met, a couple of us met again here in the fall. You know, we're going to pick up on some of that again. Cool. Which cool. is somewhat falling off the radar here. I just haven't had the same time that I had when you and I were doing it. Um, yeah. And, well, and Savannah also is, I guess it's kind of unique um, when you think about it because it's got... Uh, they're probably more like multi-generation families and people who are really invested in the place uh, than there are in other cities in the country. Uh, we had a lot, we had a lot, a lot of luck with like realtors and other people who also cared about real estate value. Um, but there, there definitely were, there are some of those still like legacy families that give a damn about the place and, and what, um, what it's changing into for better or worse. Um, so I think, you know, and I think probably a lot of cities have that, but it felt like some of the, maybe some of those older Southern cities, Savannah, Charleston, uh, Beaufort, where it used to be, might have a little more of that than other places. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. You know, this, this whole topic is really almost worth, um, like a CNU sub chapter or, <laughs> you know, boot camp for guerrilla warfare or something. <laughs> you know, how, how to affect change in your, you know, local city. Yeah. That would be actually an interesting session to do. Cause I, I yeah. get asked a lot on, on stuff like that. Um, yeah. Well, and you, you've also done it, not just in Savannah, but in Beaufort and you're, you were there with like what, 14 years. I don't remember. Yeah. A long time. Yeah. Um, something like that. You yeah. know, I think more than that actually, but, because right. um, I'm, I'm getting old now, but <laughs> yeah. And, you know, um, there's, you know, once you start waving the flag, you, people come out of the woodwork and say, yeah, you know, that's a good point. Or I agree with that. Or, but you know, you, you gotta, somebody has got to light the fire. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what else is, what else is happening in Savannah? these days what are you seeing from like a development or a design standpoint uh i know when i left town and since then there's been a lot more like uh i guess what we call like large-scale development east of downtown and a little bit on the west of downtown uh and um and then we had a lot of discussions about like how do you make incremental change and make some of that missing middle stuff easier in the older neighborhoods what are you seeing these days? Uh, and is it kind of gradual change? Does it feel like things are moving faster or, or what? Um, no, it's, there's, um, you know, if you drive over the bridge into Savannah from South Carolina, you know, I did it the other day and I don't know, there were 13 cranes. Hmm. 
You know, the amount of cranes in the air is always a good judge of what's going on. And, uh, you know, we are in that stage where um, we kind of are coming out of a stage where we couldn't build hotels fast enough anywhere. Um, and they've kind of run out of downtown space, although not entirely. Um, actually, they two of the biggest buildings, you know, um, just sold to hotel companies that are going to convert, um, convert them back. One building used to be a hotel that sits on Johnson square. That's going to be converted back to a hotel. So we're losing all that office space. Okay. um, The one, uh, one East Bryant building, which is the, which is the tallest building in Savannah was just bought, um, it's going to be at Ritz Carlton. Oh, wow. Wow. That's quite an upgrade. Well, it's yeah. a great building. It's a, it's a great building. Um, it's just, you know, it's displacing. We're losing, you know, two of the major office buildings downtown. Right. Um, and, you know, there's a ton of hotel buildings still going on. Um, there's a couple under construction. I can see out my window here. Um, and the other thing is the large apartment building that takes up as much, you know, it's it's as much of a Texas donut as you can fit on whatever site you're on. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's probably, I don't know, there's probably six, seven of those going on in various parts wow. of town right now. Um, and some right. just finished, some just finished up. Um, there's several kind of over by the bridge. Um, there's a lot on upper Montgomery street that are either built or coming online. That whole area is kind of marching southward. Hmm. Um, there's a couple infill ones over by where I live. There's two right, right by my house. Um, and you know, they're just, they're huge, big buildings. And the ones inside the historic district, you know, have enough of a review process. I was, walking by the one the other day and you know it's got a really nice brick to it it's got nice windows you know but the all the you know all the details are kind of crappy you know the they made them put brick lintel up there but it's it's fake and you know it doesn't overhang the masonry at all so (laughs) all that little stuff that that we kind of gripe about you know that stuff's not hundred percent, but you know, the building forms. Okay. And the materials are okay. Um, but then you, you look at the ones that are outside that district and holy shit, it looks just like the fourth ward in Atlanta or you mm-hmm. know, any big city is that nameless shitty architecture. Yeah. Um, with the, you know, crazy colors and the rain screen bullshit and the ins and outs and the balconies and all sorts of just you can just see that building's going to fall fall apart within ten years. Um, so we're we're getting some of that, you know, wherever they can do it, they try that. Um, the, thankfully, historic district kind of protects us from that to some degree. Um, these are the same issues, you know, Charleston faced as well. You know, we're we're usually about seven years behind whatever Charleston's going through mm-hmm. affects us. Um, and, but, you know, it's, um, especially during COVID, you know, all the downtown real estate in a span of 18 months doubled in value, doubled. Hmm. And it had already, you know, I'll, I'll be here 10 years um, in October. Um, and, you know, everything's over four times of, you know, what it cost when I first moved here, coming up on five times. Hmm. So, you know, there's. It was already kind of at a high basis by then, at that point, honestly. So. Yeah, it's, it's, um, you know, coming up on, you know, residential stuff in my neighborhoods, um, eight, 900 bucks a foot. Something like that, you know, yeah, uh, which is 
pretty expensive. <laughs> yeah, that's the understatement. <laughs> um, you know, and um, so yeah, that's kind of what's going on here. Um, you know, it's really filling in. Um, and, you know, the the Midtown District, which is, you know, south of the historic district, south of Forsyth Park, that continues to um, thrive with, um, you know, some businesses, mostly food and beverage stuff opening up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that neighborhood's, which is your old neighborhood, that's um, mm-hmm. that's also seen a, a similar, you know, bump in uh, value. Yeah. You know, which was a lot more affordable back in the day. It's, you know, be hard pressed to find something, you know, under a million bucks up there now hmm. or something close to that, you know, eight, nine hundred. Um, and, you know, tons of people, people, especially during COVID, they flocked here, man. There's so many people that, you know, cashed out of like my neighbor, my old neighbors were from Brooklyn, hmm. sold whatever they had in Brooklyn, you know, paid cash for whatever and um put money in their pocket Hmm. so you know it's so cheap compared to those kind of places yeah still still is um but yeah it's a big jump in population here Hmm. um, and it's it's been interesting because it's a big jump in uh um you know people living so that's good and then um you know, we're still overrun with our, and most people I'm sure won't know that, but, you know, Savannah's got a hellacious take rate for Airbnbs, mm-hmm. term rentals. It's, I've never come across anywhere that has any sort of ordinance like the one we have. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, uh, I think it's 25% non-owner occupied, you know, by ward, which is our neighborhood system, if you will. Right. So that doesn't include the owner-occupied ones or the illegal ones. Yeah. Um, you know, so <clears throat> just the economics on on that math drives a lot of, you know, a lot of the Victorians were picked up as Airbnb investments by holding companies. I mean, they would sell without even looking at them just because they can do the math, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I keep wondering when that bubble is going to burst feels like it's, it's bursting nationwide in, in different places, the Airbnb bubble. But you know, Savannah, Charleston, those cities are so popular. Uh, I, I don't know. Yeah, the, you know, the tourism numbers here are, are ridiculous for a city of this size, honestly. And, you know, with the, the last round of hotels online now and, you know, more coming, you know, it's really overrun with tourists. It just wasn't designed to have as many people as we have here. So it's like, you know, you need reservations now to go get dinner. Hmm. You know, it's like Manhattan. It's like, mm-hmm. it's, hard, it's hard to roll in unless you find a neighborhood joint. You know, there's a few left that you just roll in and you, you happen to know somebody and you get dinner. Otherwise there's, you know, there's tourists standing in line for some of these dumb restaurants. It's like, hmm. Yeah. That's a new thing. It is. Uh, so I also want to talk a little bit about how your practice has changed over the years and like what, what all you're doing today. Eric's, um, Eric's firm is Brown Design Studio. He's an architect. He's done architecture and uh, urban design and urban planning, um, but probably heavier on architecture. Um, and I, I'm curious, like, uh, so you've been doing this a couple of years now. <laughs> uh, and uh you know, obviously a lot has changed uh, from when you initially started doing like new working in new urbanist communities and doing the architecture you're doing. What what do you see in today that uh, wh- what if anything is kind of different about your approach and what uh, what you're working on, who your clients are, that sort of thing? Um, that's like, you know, that's a good question. I think. um and we, this is our 26th year in business. Mm-hmm. So, um, we've survived, you know, a couple minor meltdowns and one major one. Um, 
but you know, our, our whole focus, we don't do anything that's not, that wouldn't be classified as new urbanism, you know, whether it's infill work or, or greenfield work or, or something mm -hmm. in between. So, you know, we're not like local architects doing whatever comes in the door locally. Um, you know, we work solely in new urbanist projects, you know, across North America and, and a few other spots, but, um, and that's what we continue to do. And so, you know, not much has changed mm -hmm. um, in that regard. That's always what our mission was. And, you know, we're still on our, it's like the Starship Enterprise. We're on our 26th year mission to, you know, <laughs> help build healthy, walkable places. Um, and it's, you know, it's worth it. It's been a, it's been a fun challenge. Um, so we continue to do that. You know, we have long-term relations with a lot of, most of our clients are developers. Um, and we have, you know, we have some long-term relationships that, you know, we're here when they need us. They know what we do and, you know, what we're good at, what we're not good at. Um, so that's, that's our, that's our core. That's our core right there. Do you see... Do you find yourself doing more infill these days as opposed to greenfield stuff, or is that is that not not the case? Um, no, it's you know we always we've always done you know because something that plugs in a new urbanist community also plugs in an old urbanist community, mm -hmm. you know, um, and so those always went hand in hand for us. But you know, to to the heart of your point, yeah, after. You know, definitely after, you know, when the market came back in like 2012, 13, whatever, 14, you know, um, definitely we're doing, you know, a lot of smaller infill projects. Some of them are pretty random. Um, you know, we'll get a call from a guy in Michigan somewhere that wants to do six townhouses on a mm -hmm. urban property, you know, his parents owned or something. It's all sorts of, you know, stuff like that. Um, all over the place and um you know some bigger projects there's still you know some bigger projects kind of plodding along mm -hmm. um we were able to do um a project in oklahoma outside norman in between norman and oklahoma city mm -hmm. that's pretty interesting um a greenfield project it's big 720 acres um we did that planning work uh, about three years ago and you know last year we we just got some finished vertical architecture done so we're continuing to work on that project that we're real real proud of um which is called sala hmm. and, and uh, it's been fun you know doing the the land plan you know internally um a lot of times we work with some other land planners so this one we did in-house and then um you know, with some other team members, but mm -hmm. um, it's been real fun, real re rewarding. And then, you know, delivering the architecture to, to build it out. That's keeping us busy as well, you mm -hmm. know, that project. Um, but yeah, you know, um, we've always, we've always somehow been known for our missing middle work. We were doing that before anybody knew what to call it, uh, before Dan had, you know, invented that term. Mm -hmm. And, um, so that's, that's still one of our bread and butters. Um, we're still known for that somehow. Um, we've done a, a lot of multifamily projects, continue to do those a lot, um, a lot of townhouses. Um, and what's interesting is I finally got, you know, over the years, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure you've done this as well, you know, where you, you want to take a garden apartment guy and get him to do what we want him to do. Right. And I've failed. I've failed. Mm -hmm. I'm probably, I'm now like one in 17. So I've, I've got one <laughs> that I got to, to actually do it. Um, that's not totally true, but um, this was a big, you know, 350 unit project. Um, and we got them to build it out of, you know, four, six, eight, and 12 pack units. Cool. And, um, it's under construction right now. So that was interesting. 
Um, I think that's going to be a good case study going forward um, because his rent, you know, I'm anxious to see um, how his rents compete. It's in a, it's in a, you know, a decent walkable community. Um, so I'm interested to see how, how the financial case study works out. Where's that? Where's that one? That one's in Bluffton actually, which is okay. Cool. Um, across the river in South Carolina, um, mm-hmm. near for people who don't know, it's near Hilton Head. Mm-hmm. Um, how have uh, how have the conversations changed like with builders and developers like since the early days uh, of doing this stuff um did you have to do a lot more like arm twisting early on when with some of your early clients i, I mean is it e- is it an easier sell now to do the kind of work that you want to do well no it's not it's the same sell However, you know, I'm not the smartest guy, but I eventually learned to stop chasing those clients. So, you know, I don't waste my time with them. If you want to yeah. do something else, you know, have fun here. I'll give yeah. you some names of people to call. You know, we can't help you because um, I don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to go do some five car garage houses somewhere, go have fun. Um, but. You know, so we only take on projects that, that, you know, are in line with our vision, our mission. And, you know, that, that's just what I learned to do, you know, be selective about, you know, who we're going to work for, because we don't want to do everything. We only want to do, you know, something that helps our, our mission, which is, you know, building great communities. And um, if we're, you know, in alignment, when people do call us, you know, we're going to run through a wall for them. Yeah. And we believe in what we do every day. And um, so I guess I guess I got smarter is what happened. (laughs) I remember a lot of those uh, conversations, too. I got my God, we went through trying to convince so many crappy builders and developers to do something better. And 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 what was your you know, and I did the same thing, man. Um, You and I have similar backgrounds and, you know, had young companies and were young men, Mm -hmm. dumb young people. Idealistic, probably, but you know, what was your what was your success rate on that? Oh, almost almost zero. Yeah. yeah, it's like you know me with these apartment guys. I finally got one, um, a big one, to do it. You know, we've yeah. done lots of little ones, but um, you know, to get a three hundred and fifty unit thing that was a a big win. But it took me twenty some years to, to <laughs> do it, so that's not a good use of my time. Yeah, um, but you know, I think what's interesting. is in my you know my my victory that i'm kind of patting myself on the back about there with the apartment they wouldn't have come to me if they didn't get rejected prior because it was they had to conform with a form form based code that we have in the right mm-hmm. and so that's how you know otherwise they would have just happily built their normal shitty garden apartment thing mm-hmm. you know so that code reform is still critically important, you know, part of our world. Um, Cause you really, you know, convincing someone, you know, to do a, to do the, what we would term the right thing versus, you know, what they're planning on doing is it's a low percentage yeah. win rate for anybody. I don't care how good you are, you know, as a closer or whatever, but, um, and it's just, you know, it's a waste of all of our time and efforts because it burns you out because you lose so much. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. you know, I think our efforts would be better spent into, you know, guerrilla warfare to get the codes changed so that these developers now have to start doing the right thing. Yeah. And then and, find, and nurturing like other younger developers who want to do do something different, uh, bring it, helping bring them along. Um, yeah, for, for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, but a lot of these projects, you know, are still the, the big boy. Yeah. You need $40 million in yep. capital to tackle. And, mm-hmm. you know, those those guys, you know, I love the small incremental stuff. And we, we do a lot of that. Um, but, you know, it's like you're talking about 
the market share of like a Bugatti versus, you know, Volkswagen or something. Like yeah. That. You know, you got to change Volkswagen. You got to change the mass market. Um, and so, I, you know, I think that guerrilla warfare into code reform at a local level is something that we don't advocate enough for. Yeah. You know, which yeah. goes way back to our start of our conversation. Um, so I think that's, you know, if, if I could do something besides outlawing traffic engineers, um, <laughs> you know, that would be one of the things is, you know, push us on this code reform where everybody's, you know, working off some, some type of form based code. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because even after working in that world for almost 30 years or whatever, we've still, I mean, we've seen some good efforts with code reform and some good efforts with regulatory reform, but there are a lot of days where it feels like we've made zero progress, uh, depending on where you're working. It, it is, you know, it's, and I've, you know, like the analogy is you're, you know, somebody's spending all sorts of time and effort to build stuff downtown here. Great. And we're trying to, you know, expand downtown even, which is a, which is an awesome thing that we're able to do here a little bit, you know, expand your urban core. Meanwhile, you know, out in our suburbs, they're happily building, you know, Costco's and targets and all sorts of, you know, bullshit subdivisions. And it's like, You know, we don't learn and yeah. uh, we don't learn. And, you know, some of the strong town stuff is, you know, makes so much sense when you look at the, you know, how the life cycle of those suburbs. And it's funny because, you know, poolers now after spending, you know, all sorts of money on all sorts of great police stations and city halls and all this stuff. Now, all of a sudden, you know, they've got funding is different. You know, and it's, it's it's just so funny because you know they're hitting that seven year curve on a lot of stuff. And, um, but you know, um, I guess that's just you know, it's just frustrating that the the conventional model is still building. You know what, ninety percent of our yeah. built environment here, easily, yeah. easily, and mm-hmm. um, you know, I guess. You know, I've just kind of almost accepted. It's like almost you have to let that happen before you can come back and fix it in maybe thirty years or urbanize it mm-hmm. in thirty years. It's almost like you know the old patterns of development where you would build you know one story buildings down on Main Street, and then all of a sudden it made sense. Somebody built a two story building and made more money, and then everybody tore down the one story buildings. And, you just have to maybe go through that process, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's such a machine. All that stuff is such an, it, I mean, and so you have to end, you have to envy it. It's an incredible machine. Um, and the efficiency of it is amazing. Uh, and it makes a ton of money for, uh, people, uh, you know, if you get your timing right, uh, in the market, um, of course you could lose a ton of money if you get your timing wrong, but, um, but yeah, I, I, I always think about like, uh, I make the military analogy, like for, so if you're somebody who cares about like traditional urban planning, it's like we fight hand to hand combat in our older neighborhoods and we're really excited when we win a battle or two. In the meantime, it's like the enemy is carpet bombing, you know, everything outside the uh, older neighborhoods, uh, just at will. And we, we kind of willfully ignore it. Um, but it, it, yeah, it's it, it. It will continue on. I think as long as it can continue on, it seems to. Well, it's, you know, we're we're um, how many? You know, it's it's the expected lifestyle. Yeah. You know, there's there's no more generations. There's very, you know, very few percentage of people that have not been raised in the suburbs. Yeah. Exactly. It's been like four generations now. Yeah. So it's, it's the normal and, you know, driving, you know, 25 minutes to go to your super 
Kroger or whatever mm -hmm. grocery store um, is, is normal for a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, that's like, so like the last thing I wanted to ask you is, I mean, so you just mentioned you you're working on this uh, Greenfield uh, project in Oklahoma. And I know, I know you well enough to know that you've worked, you still work on some other Greenfield projects here and there, but, but by and large, it seems like I, I might have the wrong impression about this. I fully admit that I could be wrong about it. You're, you're more plugged into the this world than I am, but it seems like there's a whole lot less of those greenfield new urbanist projects going on than there were say 20 years ago um, across the country. And I, I don't know, I guess I, I wonder, do you think I'm, do you think that's wrong or right? And if, if that's the case, like what's, what's going on? Why? I think we all thought that once, you know, seaside and all those projects and then Kentlands and once they were all 10, 15 years old, and people saw how cool they were that we would see like an explosion of these around the country. And that clearly hasn't happened. Not exactly. No. Um, and I think you're, you know, I think you're right. Our, I think our expectations 20 years ago that we were going to change the machine or if not the machine, at least the, my thought was always you would show the market their alternatives. Yeah. Um, and admittedly, we were like naive and idealistic. So, I mean, that was also part of it. <laughs> well, you know, I'm still kind of that same naive, idealistic person in, in many ways, um, which is, you know, both pro and cons. But, mm. um, you know, I think um, I think these projects. have shown people that there all are alternatives, you know, to living in the cul-de-sac conventional neighborhood world. Um, and I think the, if you, you know, look at the market research, it shows you the prices in Kentlands, you know, the prices in Ion, the prices in Norton Commons, is, is you know, significantly higher than its competitor that's a conventional thing, you know, right next door, mm -hmm. right down the road. Um, but, you know, it also takes 10, 15 years to do something like that. Yeah. And meanwhile, you know, most of the development work is, you know, it's easier to go to a DR Horton and be done in three, four years, five years. You're done, right? And the yeah. landowner got their money in the first year. Yeah. Um, they didn't get as much money as they could have, but they got it the first year and they're out. They're on to the next thing. Um, you know, and I think there's just a perfect storm of all these variables there. Um, those are some of them, you know, the time investment that it takes. I think, you know, we've all, UI has stolen most of the good ideas of the new urbanism mm -hmm. that, that they can make sense of on a spreadsheet, right? And they've thrown all the, all the other stuff away. Um, so they, you know, they have co-opted some things from us, but, you know, UIs, those folks are developing most of the stuff here, you know, not mm -hmm. the new, urban, new urbanist group. NTBA is a fantastic group that I really enjoy spending time with. Um, but, you know, those those are developers that are, you know, in one, two, three, four places, you know, for 10 years, 15 years, or, you know, you can only do so much, um, even the, the bigger, more sophisticated ones. You know, meanwhile, these other guys are just, you know, knocking down 10,000 houses a year. Yeah. Yeah. And you, and while I think we, we kind of recognized how hard it was to do those first TNDs, you know, 30 years ago, uh, and I think it's gotten a little easier, um, it's still incredibly hard. Everything about it is incredibly hard. And you really have, it's a, kind of a unique personality of a developer who wants to take that on 
uh, and push for because you're going to be fighting. You're even today. You're still going to be fighting so many battles to just execute even a mediocre T and D. And you know, I think there's there's you know there's still a lot of greenfield work. I think you're seeing a little bit of um, you know obviously no one not many projects survived 2008, and yeah. so you know you didn't see many come back online. It took a long time for them to come back online. Um, and in some places, you know, our SALA project, which has virtually very little regulatory oversight, um, it, you know, it took three years to get vertical, which is unheard of anywhere else. Mm-hmm. You know, most places are still in their entitlements in year three. Yeah. You know, it takes you five years to come out of the ground, most places. Um, you know, it's just a, it's a long investment and, you know, again, the ULI guys are typically, you know, a lot of those guys have to answer to the capital, you know, and the capital is not that patient mm-hmm. generally, you know what I mean? They got to have a plan to, you know, move so much, you know, dirt or lots or whatever it is. Um, and they just can't wait into something for you know, 10, 15 years, it's hard. Yeah. I think for that group to understand that. Um, and I guess, you know, that's, you know, maybe something that we haven't never solved is, is how do you engage that industry in a different way? And, you know, you remember back to the new urban fund that was supposed to <laughs> show them how to do it. Um, yeah. that didn't quite work. Um, so I don't know, you know, it's, it's that, um, You know, I'm a market guy, so the market guys believe the market's going to kind of tell you what to do, and, mm-hmm. you know, they're going to go the easy route, but they're going to put yeah. in the, the big pool and all the stuff that helps them, you know, increase their sales rate and all that kind of stuff, and, you know, it is what it is, um, but um, the people who do, you know, uh, trail with outside Atlanta, they're doing great, they're killing it. You know, so whenever we do do these, you know, Norton Commons continues mm-hmm. to kill it. Um, they just dominate the, the market. Once once you do it, you can do it right. Yeah. We haven't been able to set up the machine in, in most cases, you know, the industry to to continue that. It's always been kind of a family or one off or, you know, very few of these have been done by corporate folks, I guess, just like watercolor Right. that there's been a few but you know they quickly went back to yeah selling pine forest or whatever they were doing before that yeah exactly like saint saint joe company did watercolor and water sound and stuff and they own so much land and i think they it seems like they've kind of gone away from that back to you know a hybridized version of what they were doing before yeah and it's um so i don't know man um i you know and i i do think you know if you if you look around, there's also a lot of smaller projects that we don't really hear about. You know, if you call up uh, Mike Watkins or somebody like that, um, Mike's, Mike's extremely busy, and that's what he's working on. You know, he's working on these 100-acre little projects that he's, you know, nailing. And, you hmm. know, we do a lot of work with Mike and like Tom Lowe and those guys. There, there's a lot of smaller projects that just you aren't going to hear about. Interesting. And they're never going to be... You know, we've done some DPZ. We've got a DPZ project that's stuck entitlement in the entitlement process um, that we're set up to do some of the architecture on. But, you know, it's, just, it's year four. Hmm. You know, and so they'll call us when they need us. But um, there's not as many getting the, the limelight that we used to get. And, I, you know, I just had this conversation with Rob Studeville, mm-hmm. who used to do one of my favorite things, which was write the New Urban News. I love getting that magazine every month, mm-hmm. remember? Hmm. Um, so it was good to catch up with him about that. But he, you know, he had those same thoughts, and um, you know, I just don't think maybe as a movement we're communicating what we're doing very well. Yeah. With each other. You know, yeah. nobody knows about my Sailor project. Right. It's probably one of the bigger ones. Um, you know, no. You know, Mike doesn't. You know, Michael shares stuff. You know, when he needs one of us to come in and help him 
on stuff. Other than that, I don't know what they're doing. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know what DPZ or Dover Cole's doing unless, you know, we're working on a specific project with them. So we really don't share as much as we used to. Yeah, I think that's a great point. You know, it's like uh, another, we could do a whole other hour sometime on how uh, uh, CNU itself has changed and uh, gotten away from a lot of the practical uh, side of just building great communities. And I think a big part of that is we've lost, we're not talking to each other about who's doing what. And we used to actually have a running list of all these places all over the country. I, I, I don't think that even exists anymore. Um, I don't think that's a priority. It doesn't seem to be. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think, you know, that, that CNU group has, you know, gotten away from communicating and, and, with each other our successes because that's yeah. a large because it kept you going mm-hmm. you know we'd all go back to our our little hometowns after seeing you and you feel i would feel renewed and re-energized and um you know i would i would love getting new urban news in the mail and i would whatever i was doing i would stop and sit down and read the thing because it was great to hear about you know some new exciting stuff or some new projects or um and ironically, in an age where it's very easy to communicate these days, you know, we don't. We don't yeah. pat ourselves on the back. Um, we don't share our success stories. It, um, it's kind of like CNU never evolved. Uh, and communication-wise, we never evolved past the email listserv. <laughs> no, you're right. You're it's exactly, kind of hilarious. You're 100% uh, right on that. Yeah. The most painful way to communicate that's ever been invented, I think. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. Except maybe the group text. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Eric, I think we, we'll wrap it there. It's been about an hour. Um, what are your, uh, what's your favorite uh, uh, spots in Savannah, your favorite hangout spots these days? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, depends what my mood is. Um, but, you know, I've got a, I've got a couple of um, establishments you know, two blocks from my house mm-hmm. that you're most likely to find me in one of those three places. Uh, you, mm-hmm. know, you know, the most famous dive bar in the world, Pinkies. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, there's a place called Savoy, which is run by the people who own Pinkies. And I, th- I think that's, that wasn't there when you were here, was it? I don't think, I don't remember it. No. So that while you were here, it was this kind of shitty wine bar that nobody. Oh owned. yeah, 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 yeah. So it's in that space in the Drake Tower. Okay. And it's, you know, you go in there and it's 95% locals. 90% cool. Something like that. So, you know, I hang out there and then, um, you know, over by the Perry Lane Hotel. Mm-hmm. There's some stuff there. Those, those are my hangouts these days. All right. So anybody listening, if you're in Savannah, you know where to find Eric. Uh, buy him a drink and uh, talk about uh, all this stuff and much more. Uh, and uh, find out what he's up to. So uh, it's uh, been great to catch up with you. Um, one, I'll get my butt down there to uh, Savannah one of these days soon so we can uh, dive a little deeper and do the off-color stuff. So, <laughs> Okay, good. I, I don't think you have to censor anything, so I was, I was on my best behavior. <laughs> Not this time, yeah. But, um, you know, I, um, again, just want to reiterate, I think it's great that you're doing this. This is a great way to communicate with folks. Um, again, we need to do kind of more of this stuff. And, um, you know, I think just to reiterate earlier, you know, we accomplished a lot here, man. So I'm, I'm, I'm proud to have had you here as a um, Superman to the, my Batman or, or whatever, <laughs> whatever you want to term it. Uh, so well, it's Michigan. not Batman or Robin. So. <laughs> I don't want to see you in tights. That would not be a pretty <laughs> Nobody does. Nobody does. Miss you here, buddy, and appreciate you. Uh, thanks very much. I definitely miss uh, miss you and miss Savannah. It's, uh, I, I need to find myself there more often. So, Good to talk to you. All right, buddy. See you.